This is Dad at the Movies, a podcast where a dad and his lovely adult daughter talk about movies. I'm the dad. I guess that's obvious. And I'm the daughter. And today we're doing something a little different. We usually record via Skype, and today we are actually in the same room at the same time. So we'll see if we can get all the bugs worked out. On board a ship, of all places. Yes. We are on Celebrity Cruise Line, unfortunately not a sponsor of this podcast. Ooh, we should work on that. What do you think it would take? Um, like more than three listeners? I think so. I think more than immediate family member listeners would be oh, required. Well, we're out of luck then. Today we're talking about the movie Bad Times at the El Royale. El Royal? Oh. I thought it was El Royale. Is it El Royal? Oh, I thought that's what I said. Oh. Well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And it was your choice, so I think you're kind of getting ahead on the choices, but um, I'm, I'm going to let that slide right now. Because if you know the, the format of our podcast, it's like we're supposed to trade back and forth, and I make her watch a movie of my selection, and then she hits me back, vice versa. But um, anyway, it is, to, we'll call it her turn right now. To be fair, um, I picked this movie because, as my husband actually pointed out, this seems like a J kind of movie. So, yet, yet it wasn't entirely, but it, 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 well, I think it fit more than a Marvel comic movie would fit my style, so yes, I, I, okay. What did you think of this film? Well, it's, um, very very, I'm, am I loud or are you you're quiet? You're very loud. Because when you end up hearing the recording, you may be surprised. Mm, I think you're quite loud. Okay, we'll let people decide that on their own. Anyway, um, what did I think of the movie? I really, it took me a long time to get into this movie. We should hmm. tell people, for the sake of, uh, of, uh, of uh, choices that you may make, this is like a two-hour and 20-minute movie. I Yes, and I saw that when I started the movie and I saw two hours and 21 minutes, I thought, oh, oh my, I have made a grave mistake and this is going to be bad. Right. I have to say, however, though, that this was not a painful two hours and 21 minutes. I felt like it went by pretty fast. It felt like a half hour had clicked by... Um, before even I was trying anyway. to get ready for the cruise and there were a lot of late things happening so I was up till one thirty in the morning uh, before I was going to get up at four o'clock the next morning to to travel so it was it was not the best time in which to try to watch a movie but uh, but I, I managed I managed and as I say I started into the movie um, not knowing too much of what to expect and then I, I too saw the time frame and I thought oh my goodness I did not find the movie easy to jump into. It didn't bore me, but what I found, and I'll say this just right off the bat here, I didn't care too much about the characters until very late in the movie. Some so, movies I care right off the bat, almost immediately, instinctively. This one I'm like, I don't care. I'm just I don't care about any of these people. Go ahead. Um, I have to disagree. So we'll start at the very beginning. At the very beginning, you have um, John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, and Cynthia... Ervivo? Ervivo? Yeah, we we'll probably should have checked the the um, name, but at first I did not find John Hamm's character to be likable at all, and in fact I <laughs> I was kind of inwardly cursing John Hamm because he had this accent that I could only describe as cartoonish. It was a uh-huh. southern accent, and it seemed very yeah. Froghorn Leghorn to yes. me. Yes, and his character was also immediately a racist. Um, yes. But Are you, we allowed to say, yes, for sake of spoilers, that I, that was This a, is very early on. But then you find out it's a very layered performance, so it's not actually John Hamm uh, playing this cartoonish racist. It's actually John Hamm playing a CIA 
or FBI yeah. agent yeah, yeah. playing a yes. cartoonish Yes, so he's racist. allowed to have a cartoonish, racist-like um, persona because it's a persona. It's like in Tropic Thunder, where you've got uh, the guy playing a black man. Um, uh, uh, well, at any does. rate, I figured yeah. that some of his off-putting qualities really had to do with kind of... Um, turning people off and keeping people away. So he yes. was playing a character who was very unlikable on purpose. Right. And then his character, distance. of all the characters, actually starts becoming more compelling rather quickly. Like, you start thinking, oh, he's actually a really good guy. Right. And this is where the movie, I think, is quite subversive. So you have mm, this film where you a good have word for it. John Hamm um, playing this, you know, very um, clean-cut American hero FBI agent and you really think that this film is going to be about John Hamm and um, I, I will give this away because this happens quite early in the film um, 30 minutes into this 2 hour and 21 minute film John Hamm is um, obliterated by a shotgun blast and okay. that you don't think that's a spoiler I, I, too late now I, you know what don't listen to podcasts about movies if you don't want spoilers, okay? I think that's fair. Think we won't tell you the very ending of the movie because that would just... You wouldn't watch two hours and 20 minutes knowing the end. Right. So, again... I'm um, not saying it's a quirky twist ending. I didn't say that. So, again, you have this film, what you think you're watching, um, and it turns out to be something really very different. All these mysteries you think you're yeah. unraveling well, really I didn't are even know. unraveled. I didn't even know what kind of movie I was watching at first. You've got um, suspenseful uh, music. You've, you've got an abstract equality to what's going on. Like You're like, am I watching a horror film? Is this a little bit like the TV show Lost? Interesting that you say that. For, right? Yes, so it's um, written, directed, brainchild of Drew Goddard, who did write for Lost. Yeah. And so, like, I'm thinking, are, is this going to all end up being purgatory? Or <laughs> I, had the, I had the exact same thought. We'll get into that later. But absolutely. My, so my husband, Which we're not saying it wasn't purgatory. <laughs> my husband was watching this film with me. And at the very beginning, they're playing kind of a 19, what, 60s um, country rock tune. And so he he's not really watching the film he's just in the room and he he turns to me and he says Leigh is this is this a really violent film and I said yes I think so and he goes oh yeah I could tell because of the music yeah it had the Tarantino <laughs> kind of effect it absolutely did so Drew Goddard obviously seems to be clearly influenced by kind of Coen Brothers Tarantino yes and almost a uh, Anderson yeah and I was even going to throw Martin uh, McDonough in there along with it although it's, it's it's not got the humor at all of a Martin McDonough film More, but it has some of the oh, pacing I thought, the I thought it did have a, a little, oddly comedic quality to it <sighs> but but stretched out a lot more than McDonough has you kind of chuckling almost constantly but the characters all of them are a little bit humorish Right. Humorish? That's not a word. Uh, but Humorous? You, yeah. um, so, so again, let's just Ish. kind of um, broad strokes here. As we already said, John Hamm playing an FBI agent. We have, um, we'll just say Cynthia, um, is playing Dar Darlene Sweet, who is sort of a Motown-era singer. And we, yeah, she's like a backup singer wanting to be a, a, a upfront singer right. star. She's gotten kind of a sad little gig at a casino in Reno. That is why she is here at the El Royale in um, the Lake Tahoe area. Yeah. 
half in California, half that's the this the shtick of this supposed hotel is there's a line running down the middle of it and there's right. gambling on the Nevada side and there's a bar on the California side and it's but it's got it it was the type of thing that happened back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It was sort of that feel of oh let's come up with this really weird hotel well, where you're in two states. That seems believable. So for me, what I'm looking at this, um, and I'm looking at it from kind of like my literature education background, I'm yeah, thinking, okay, you, would. you have you have this dividing line. Uh-huh. So that seemed to me uh, to be kind of a theme in the movie. I was the like theme, metaphoric. Well, it does seem to that be about different. choices mm. and about kind of mm. what, um, mm-hmm. and again, if you go to some of the later scenes, it yeah. seems to be clearly it's... Um, yeah. Choices. So they had to choose. Are you going to stay on the California side? Are you going to stay on the Nevada side? Are you going to stay in room four? Are you going to stay in room five? So you you know, you you saying that just triggered something. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of got that sort of morality play aspect feel to it. Oh, a hundred percent. Which reminds me of Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone was always a little mysterious, sometimes supernatural. But always there was a little bit of a morality play, and that was yes. kind of going on in this for sure. I, yeah, um, and then we of course have Jeff Bridges' um, character, who he starts the film as a uh, priest, and I think you immediately know he is not a priest. Uh, I I, knew I, pretty I guess early that pretty early that he was he had just gotten out of prison. Well, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, without going into telling too much about the yeah. plot, you, you do you're aware that there's been a bank robbery at the very opening, mm-hmm. and I won't say a lot more. Right. But when you when he shows up, you kind of suspect that he well, is coming for the cash. So when he's yes. a priest, you're like, yeah, but that's a cover. obviously he's not a priest, right? And right. also when he mentioned, well, I I, ha- I don't listen to the radio. For me, that clicked. Yeah. Oh, he's been in prison because where where else would Ooh, you that not? That was good if you figured that well, out. Well, I just thought that was kind of on the nose, honestly. Because uh, I just went, oh, okay. I guess uh, you know he's trying to seem very holier than thou, and he probably really knows the radio actually really well. But you know, I don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. His character is there's some interesting. Should, we we should probably not even mention certain things about his character. Yeah, I wanted to ask you though. Too much away. Did you notice the situation with his teeth? I always notice that with Jeff Bridges. Okay, he he has a, a very severe uh, underbite. Okay, I think at I, least it, it seems I that way. I could not understand if he was doing a an accent, um, if he is missing teeth in real life, or if they said, "Oh, this character would be missing his front teeth." He has um, he has that denture whistle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In in real life, when I hear him interviewed, he seems to be able to speak a little bit more clearly. But he mm-hmm. kind of did that thing he did with uh, um, Rooster Cogburn um, in True Grit when he played that. Like he was almost you couldn't hardly understand him right. as Rooster Cogburn. So I think it's an affected thing that he's easily able to go into. And I had that impression that he was playing somebody who had been down on his luck. Right. A few times it lived a hard life. But see, now, Jeff Bridges, is he's just one of those characters that there are certain character actors that you like them right away. Even if they're the villain you want to like them, there's just something about them. So he he was one of the few people I kind of liked from well, the beginning. I I just find it so interesting that you say that uh, these characters were unlikable. I thought Nick, um, excuse me, I, I keep for some reason confusing John Jeff Hamm. Bridges with Nick Nolte. Oh. I don't know why. He's actually signed Nick Nolte's... I heard him say this, that, that people have come to him to okay. get Nick Nolte's autograph. Okay, good. Because I, I actually... I could not 
picture Nick Nolte, but when I was watching this film, um, you know, before I pulled up the IMDb, mm-hmm. I asked my husband, oh, is that Nick Nolte? And he's mm. like, oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I found him likable. I found John Hamm likable. Once we well, find out he's not Yeah, for about, like, a slice of, like, five minutes. Oh, I like that guy. Boom. Oh. Yes. Well, and <laughs> I have to go back to these again, other people I don't like. We can, I think we can spoil stuff in the first 30 minutes, I feel fine to spoil. Right. Um, okay. When you're talking about or I think I started talking about choices, dividing lines. Um, he he finds out very quickly in this film that this hotel that oddly enough he is spying on, there's a lot of surveillance equipment. Yeah, there's like a back hallway with all of the rooms on full display through their mirrors. Yes. And um, the uh, the kid that works behind the desk is in on that. He's like the point person that the corporation has using film equipment and whatnot and spying and giving them giving them reports. And we also know that it is not the FBI or any governmental agency, it right. seems like. Right, because John Hamm's with the FBI and he's Absolutely. calling J. Edgar Hoover going, hey, uh, somebody else is here doing right. some stuff. And, Here's uh, where the lost element comes in. I assumed that this was the mob uh-huh. that was doing the surveillance yeah, yeah. because um, this was, again, it was in Nevada and we have... Um, this hotel that used to have an active mm. casino, mm-hmm. and they said this used to be where sort of the, like the Rat Pack yeah. hung out. I assume, right? Mob, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a definite thought. But they never answer this question. It was a loose end. They didn't bother sewing up. There are several of those I noticed where they you, they just didn't finish the Absolutely. story because it's like, well, that's how real life is. You don't yes. always get your stories wrapped up. So there's, yeah, yes. And they have this tape. I won't go into it too much, but I felt like that that reel of film, um, there was a clear, to me, parallel sort of between that and that suitcase in the movie Pulp Fiction. Have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah, but man, I forgot. Well, that. there's a suitcase that has something in it, uh, and you never find out what it okay. is. Okay, all right. I wow. felt like the reel of film was quite similar. I mean, they kind of told you the gist of it. They just didn't tell you who the person was in it that was that had been filmed with prostitutes, right, and you're right, like, right. okay, big politician or something. Or I thought actually a celebrity, or celebrity. or um, like a humanitarian. But here's the thing: I guess it doesn't matter because it's all fictional, right? But anyways, that's a very good point. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, why do we even talk about these things? We shouldn't well, even be making a podcast about fictional things. But that's what I'm saying. It's so they funny don't because exist. there's there's something to it where actually, if you Man. don't spell things out, right, it creates almost more. Um, Gravitas. Gravitas, then, exactly. Then That's what they said actually... George Bush didn't have for some reason. Yes. Gravitas. So, anyways, um, John Hamm is going back in this corridor with all of these mirrors, and he sees that um, this young woman has kidnapped someone. And he calls this into the FBI, and the FBI says, leave it alone. And our hero of the film, what we assume is the hero of the film, John Hamm, says... No, I can't do that. That would be wrong. I have yeah. to act. Well, he says this to himself. He doesn't tell them over the phone, like, right. hey, I'm going to go do it. He just goes ahead. Sorry. Right. He just goes ahead and does it. Yes. And and he's blown away by a shotgun. And that, again, I think you could sort of view um, that as, as the first film. Yeah. The it, first story we're watching. And then it, the, the film is divided into clear stories. And it's... I didn't I didn't see it that way, but I get, oh. I get what you mean. It... Yes, it's all part of one fabric, but yes, that there's like a, it's sort of this vignette that that was with self-contained within it that sort of comes in. It also tells you, okay, I can't trust this film. 
um, this is going to mm. be like this is going to be like a British film. You know, the British people love to do this in their films, like the recent show Bodyguard. You th- well, I won't give that away with spoiler alerts, but you know, you have this main character. Just you know, half of the episodes in, they kill off the main character, and it does this. What the film? It gets well, you off. Or a or guard. a Game of Thrones. Yeah, where you have right. Sean Bean who's murdered. You yes, think exactly. He is the, Hero of our Which I don't story, watch. I just want to go on record as saying I don't watch Game of Thrones. Well, but yeah, I've heard people yes. talk about it. So I think if I were going to... And this is where I say I think this film is subversive. Mm-hmm. If you really look at this film, the true um, north of moral compass yes. is Darlene Sweet. She is someone who I think actually to some always, extent, yes. always follows her morals. Okay. I, um, we see this over and over at the very beginning of the film. We find out that she has had this opportunity to sleep. Mm-hmm. We assume sleep mm-hmm. yes. with this just slimy producer. And he tells her, hey, you do this or you're going to get stuck playing the pancake supper gig in yes. Reno. And where do we find her? The pancake supper right, gig. Right, right, yeah. And Although and there is that again, moment toward the end of the film where she she actually doesn't behave um, in, in accordance with that. But maybe, I guess, all right, so I'll, I think I, it's a subplot. I, I can give this much away. It's all a spoiler anyway. But there's the point where she's essentially got a gun to her head and mm-hmm. it comes out that she's a singer. And the 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 evil character... Uh, that is uh, played by um, Chris Hemsworth. He basically says, "You sing, or I'm going to play the roulette game, and you might get shot." And uh, and Jeff Bridges is like, "Don't don't do it. He's going to shoot you anyway. He's gonna, he's just toying with you. He doesn't deserve to hear you sing." I... And I sort of and and by her singing, you could suggest that she was prolong trying to prolong her life, and thereby maybe. I make actually the saw odds that as a of... sacrificial act, as something completely different. I saw uh-huh. her as singing. Um, I thought saw that as as something else. You I... know, it's hard to know because if if she if she believed what um, what Bridges was saying right. that the guy was just toying with her, um, then yeah, then it was a brave thing. Right. But if if in effect she was saying, okay, he's telling me that if I don't sing. No, I'm going to be immediately playing this I, game where I could get shot. I really think that her singing was something else because we, and I, again, I won't give details, but you have a point in the movie in which someone has the opportunity to save these people, but it would go against his moral compass to yeah. do it. By the way, does it bother you that the ship just left the uh, dock and no, we're floating? No, not now? at all. Okay. Um, okay. And hope they put that little plug on the back of the boat. I'm sorry, did that frustrate you? <laughs> Very frustrating. If you ever put a boat out into the water, put that little plug in at the bottom, because okay. otherwise you will sink that puppy. Anyways. I found that out the hard way. But go ahead. I was in the middle of something quite you complicated. Were. but Was it? Th- so, again, the somebody has an opportunity to save them, but it would cause him extreme psychological pain to do so. Uh-huh. And she's asking him to do it, and he says, I can't. And she says, you know what? That's okay. And she literally puts his his moral convictions, his psychological well-being uh, uh-huh. above but I, her I, life. Okay, so I'll, uh, two things. A, yes. I agree with you that she was more or less a, a moral person. Her mm-hmm. character played one of the more, like you said, just uh, straight as an arrow characters, yes. if you will. H- however, 
I also say this: mm-hmm. the choice of actress. I mean, she's probably she was probably cho- chosen because I. But the, 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 I I didn't think the actress they chose was was one that I found um, particularly warm or or uh, somebody that I cared hmm. about quickly. I think there were other actresses they could have gone with where I would have immediately gone, "Oh, I really relate to her." I, felt I don't like know her. She had sort of a quiet strength. That you, you were drawn to I it. was, yes. I, th- I know I, that's what they I wanted. I just didn't necessarily it, feel it. She played it subtly. She was mm-hmm. somebody who'd been knocked around yeah. by life many times. Yes. Right, right. I, I, yeah. And it, it didn't ruin the movie or anything. It's just I was struggling so long into the movie where there was just precious little where I felt mm. a tr- that, that I really liked the characters that... And that's for me, you know, me long enough to know that when a, one of the big things for a movie to me is is do I care immediately about the characters I think movies are so much better when they are able to make you care well, and I guess that's just where we're coming in from different places is that you before I watched this film you told me that you hadn't really cared about any of the characters and mm-hmm. so I went in thinking that this was going to be um, I'm trying to think of an equivalent more of a make Martin McDonough movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, where I do care about Martin McDonough's characters. Well, I don't know. I thought they were all quite horrible in the film <laughs> that I watched. Um, but okay, yes, because he can take a character that isn't like in real life would not be a likable person given what they do, but make them likable in spite of themselves. Well, I. But again, I thought you have. John Hamm playing an FBI agent who risks everything to save a young woman. You have um, Jeff Bridges, who, even though he is an outlaw, they make a very... um, It's kind of a save-the-cat moment. Have you heard of that expression? Okay. There is a screenwriter, I apologize, I don't know his name, but he wrote either a book on screenwriting or teaches screenwriting, and he says that like your hero at the beginning close to the beginning of the film has to have the save the cat moment where where he does something heroic that oh, endears okay. him mm-hmm. and I felt like you had that with you, you shouldn't Jeff. kill him right in the middle of saving the cat well I I don't know what you're talking about but Jeff Bridges oh, Jeff, character I thought you were talking about John Hamm no they okay. make a very distinct point at the beginning of the film to show that he's not a bad guy because when he um, robs this bank he sees that you have some injured guards and he's concerned oh are these guards dead and he finds out oh no they're not dead okay okay good he says he he does seem to have some care and concern yeah and then he kind of heroically um takes the the blame uh for this bank robbery right he um yeah he's not a malicious person he saves his brother he saves his brother in that moment um so you yes again you show he he is a, an outlaw but not a sociopath or yeah. a antisocial yeah person. I get that I get that and so. like I say he was the character that I cared uh, probably most about in the film until late which I you know the, the um it, you know to tell it's almost a giveaway if I start talking about the one character that I like the best because then that's the big you know well uh, I, deal. I think you're already kind of. I don't think it would have been a giveaway, but now I think you've given now it away people know that there's because a twist. you're saying this. Yes, yeah. um, it's very so hard. So for the other characters, you have Dakota Johnson. How do you feel about Dakota Johnson? She played Emily mm-hmm. Summer Spring. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like her as an actress. Uh, she is, uh, and and they made you 
dislike her very quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> and then they tried to redeem her character a little bit. So it's like, okay, yeah, I cared a little bit more about her, but yeah. She's, she's the daughter of uh, Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. Seriously? Yes. That is why she, that's why you see her in things. It's, uh, it's definitely okay. some right. nepotism. Right. Um, also, she was in the Fifty Shades Fifty of Grey, Shades. Which I did not mm-hmm. see either. Neither did um, I. But she basically... Uh, took that role when a lot of other people were not willing to do that mm, and that sort yeah. of launched her career. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so as I said that, you know, John Hamm was playing this very over-the-top cartoonish character, so it seemed was Dakota Johnson, except she just stuck with that. That wasn't a layered performance. That was just what she was Gotcha. Yeah. I felt it was. It was. She didn't try to mask herself or or anything it, about herself. Yeah. I did. I didn't feel. I felt like it was kind of cartoonish as well. Like okay. I'm playing kind of just a sociopath with a very thick Southern accent who slowly slowly smokes cigarettes. Right. Just kind of playing. But who does love her sister, and that's her one redeeming quality is that she right. loves her sister enough to kidnap her. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's most of the cast, except for this, this we'll call it a minor role by Chris Lewis Hems- Pullman. Oh, well, Chris Hemsworth also oh, is yeah. in He's, this film. He plays as a, a good villain. As a Marilyn Manson. Yeah, uh, not Marilyn Manson. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yes, Charles. Charles Manson. Yes, yeah. yes, Charles Manson, yes. yes. Yeah, he, he um, didn't sing at all in the, in the movie, as far as I could tell. Well, and that's when the film gets the most Tarantino-like, is when mm-hmm. he's yep. dancing... While eating a slice of pie, yeah, which made me angry because he's he's dancing with his shirt off, and it's clear that that guy does not eat carbohydrates oh. <laughs> of any kind, much yeah. less dessert, yeah. much less yeah. pie. That's yeah. not happening. Oh, for him, so. yeah. So, so you're faulting the filmmaker at that point, or you're faulting Chris Hemsworth for having um, six pack uh, abs? Well, I felt like I felt like that moment was and. and there were several points throughout this movie, and in a lot of films, I think, suffer from this, where they become so precious, and it's so, it's just so much like, hey, look at this cool thing we're doing, that yeah. it takes you kind of out of the story. Yeah. Um, and again, it's so it was so Tarantino-like, and uh-huh. so uh-huh. kind of stylized and over the top. Right. So I could right. enjoy it on one hand, but on the other hand, I was just yeah. like... Dude, yeah. like you're showing off. Basically. Yeah. At this point in the movie, I'm I'm really struggling. Well, because it's one in one o'clock in the morning for one thing, but I'm right. struggling because again, it's like I haven't cared very much about these characters. Now they've introduced this psychopathic, awful, narcissistic, you know, guy that I cannot like. Obviously, right. I'm not supposed to like him. Right. But um, where's this thing going? I'm thinking, where on earth is I? Do, what? Where's this all headed? And. Uh, I did not. Uh, I did not see it. Did, did at that point in the film, I, again, we're talking about the morality play yeah. about the choices. Yeah. There, there's some very clear choices that people have to make. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like somebody was going to literally become the devil? And I do mean literally. I felt like yeah, I there was felt that. that mm-hmm. It was so strong that I felt at some point that someone was going to literally kind of pull off a skin mask yeah. and be yeah Lucifer or. Or some sort of archangel or something. You still didn't know for a long time whether this was even a horror film or there'd be some supernatural element to it. Right. Yeah. Or, um, and this film, um, again, Drew Goddard, he um, was heavily involved, I think created 
um, Cabin in the Woods. Yes, which, that was one of his good ones, huh? Which did have in a supernatural element and did have that kind of... Didn't that it also, have Chris Hemsworth in it, too? Was that was he in that? I don't know. I feel like he was. All I don't right, know. We'll, we'll find out someday. Yeah, we could stop and look it up on the internet real quick, but we won't do that because this is a very raw, authentic podcast, unlike some of your other garden variety Um, podcasts. Vietnam, I think that was something because, you know, and I don't know, because I unfortunately don't know a lot about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. I know it wasn't maybe as clear cut as in the Korean War where you had that, what was it, the 40-something parallel? Yeah, 48th parallel. Right, but again, that dividing line yeah. and the idea of choices because that did seem to feature very early there was Nixon he was talking about the oh, Vietnam yes. War yes well and that was the era that they were trying to place it within and everything had to kind mm-hmm. of sort of make some connection where it belonged but but i feel like that stuff is never incidental especially in a film like that i yeah. feel like every piece is well, without giving away the end of the film, obviously it played a huge role. Well, <laughs> a gigantic I role. I felt like it also played a metaphorical role. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. We could probably say that, that during the course of, uh, very early on, when uh, when the character that uh, Louis, Louis Pullman, who is uh, Bill Pullman's son, oh, uh, played... Yeah, he is. Oh, there's um, a lot of... Uh, well, his character traits? I was, no, I was going to say, we have... Dakota Johnson, who yeah. is the daughter of... Oh, I um, see what you're saying. Yeah, and yeah. then you have Chris Hemsworth, who yeah. I believe his yeah. brother's... Jeff Bridges was the son of Lloyd Bridges. Right. Oh, you got all this second generation stuff. Well, and Chris Hemsworth, it's it's uh, parallel. It's his mm-hmm. brothers, but mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it is interesting. So Lewis Pullman plays this, uh, like, what do you call it? Uh, the, um, the hotel manager, I guess you'd say. Yeah, um, he's the only person there. And he's there. Catholic. And seems very lapsed. Like he's, he, you, you find out very early on that he's a very tortured soul. And as soon as he finds out that that uh, Jeff Bridges is a priest, he so shows him so much deference. You know, right. like oh, you, well, you shouldn't be here, Father. Early, again, not a spoiler. First thirty minutes that he is a heroin addict. Yeah. So there's all this sin that he's carrying, and he's just he. T- very early, you find out that he wants Jeff Bridges to hear his confession. Well. Again, interesting, right? Because you have, um, you have a lot of these people who are maybe um, doing these things that are wrong. So, Jeff Jeff Bridges robbing banks. Um, Darling, sweet, she at one point hits somebody over the head, but it's kind of in self defense. Right. Um, John Hamm. You know, you could some of the things he's doing are offensive, but he's doing it sort of for the greater good. A lot of these people are very flawed characters, and yeah. yet maybe at the at their heart are not bad people. And right. then there's some people who are just, just really, really bad, evil. Yeah. and maybe some people who fall somewhat in the middle. So, one of the things that I will say, and that with, without giving away the film, is I thought that the film was going to be very nihilistic. That it, right. you know, morality was going to be unclear. There mm-hmm. would be, you know, the evil might even. Prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if it was a Coen Brothers film, yeah, it probably would. or it'd be left very sketchy and unclear. And it really isn't that kind of film. Um, without well, telling you anymore, and that's why I, I said I thought at one point that someone was going to literally pull off their skin suit and be the devil because yeah. it, it right. It, it's very similar. Um, 
to me, it seems very similar to the film um, The Devil. Yeah. In yeah. Um, uh, the M. Night... M. Night Shyamalan yes. film with the elevator and all. Yes. Yeah. I, there was a vibe that I felt was kind of similar. Well, I mean, the, even the thing I just mentioned with, uh, with uh, Pullman's character when he says that you shouldn't be here, Father. Everything, right. like, I started noticing the music right away early on like not the not not when they would break into one of the 60s but when they weren't singing one of those 60s songs the music was the very score. much it was like a horror film right it had that just it tried absolutely it. it absolutely does have the vibe of a horror film and i think partially because it takes place at this hotel yeah have you seen the movie identity uh i don't think so identity is um a modern retelling of agatha christie's and then there were none okay. and it all takes place at kind of a similar hotel okay. where these characters are picked off one by one. Yeah. I felt it was similar to that. Yeah. Also similar to um, this Luke Wilson and Kate Beckinsale film, yeah. which another horror film yeah. has a lot of similar right. elements. There have been films where it was very much a supernatural thriller, supernatural horror thing, and it was taking place in a hotel. And you have the song Hotel California. There's which, also... You know, I, I do. You, are you um, familiar with the story? I want to say it's called the Outcasts. No. And this is something that I probably should have looked up, but there is a short story. I believe it's called the Outcasts, and it takes place, I believe, in California or somewhere mm-hmm. in that okay. area, where you have sort of these um, people who are cast out of society, and are and and I felt like that was kind of. The people in this film are, in one sense, they're all outcasts, yeah. with maybe the exception of John Hamm. Yeah. There's something about them that's been... You have to be somewhat kind of um, on the fringes right. of society to end yeah. up at this yeah. motel. Yes. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. At the end of the day, because we're probably getting close on what our reasonable mm-hmm. time is here, I would say that I, I did like the film. But it sure took a long time for me to get to that point. And then with when the when it was all over, I'm like, that was a really good film. And immediately I'm thinking, but boy, that took a long time for me to, to get to the point where I could say that. Though I'm, I'm just like at this I, point the whole time going, again, yeah, and really, then, wow, that was really good. I really disagree. I found it to be very engaging um, almost immediately. Hmm. But... Um, it's very violent. It is a very violent film, so I feel like we should put that out there. Yeah, um, it, not horrid gore, um, right? I would disagree. I think at some points it is. Again, my what, husband. What seemed past, most go- gory to um, you? There were well, people got shot in the head at point blank range. People ended up with glass in their face. So there yeah. was at one of the um, one of the gunshots. My husband walked through, and he went, "Oh, like he yeah. he flinched." So yeah. I I feel like we maybe gloss over violence um, in compared to some other things that yeah, might be found objectionable. But I have a very I, low threshold for certain kinds of gore, and it didn't have the kind of gore that there wasn't torture, right? But I I do yeah. think we should put that out there. It is a very violent film. Yeah. Um, when John Hamm gets a gets hit with the shotgun, that's that's a very right. ugly, jarring thing. But at the so, same time, it wasn't like a close up slow mo with right. with the uh, But you do see it three times. Um, yes. Anyways, so that would be my one caveat. But I found yeah. the film to be very engaging, quite quite um, fast paced, actually, for a movie that is that long. Okay. But I would say the one thing I did feel was that at the end, it felt a little bit tricked. 
sort of like Lost, which I never watched, but uh-huh. I felt like they were dropping some breadcrumbs and it did not all add up at the uh-huh. end. Huh. Okay. Well, I thought it added up, but but clearly they wanted the surprise. Clearly well, they tr- they they were tr- tricking you a little bit because. And I would just say the way they no, get you I, off. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. At the very beginning of the film, when you're again your first thirty minute film is about John Hamm. Well, what was he? Why was he there? Who was he trying to intercept? At yeah. this hotel, yeah, that was a loose end that uh, didn't matter. That was matter. a loose end that did not matter. Um, there were some other bits and pieces. For instance, um, and this isn't giving anything away. At the very beginning, when uh, Nick Offerman, who's Jeff Bridges' brother in the film, hides this money, um, that was all being watched by somebody. Why did they not, at that point? Well, retrieve the cash. Now, why do you say it was being watched by someone? Because it took a very long time for him to do that, and so I've, I, I mean, realistically, that would take hours and hours yeah. to do what they show him doing. So the the odds that somebody did not walk past I'll give, that. Now, I'll give you, I'll give you what I think the filmmakers might say if you mm-hmm. asked them that and told them. They would point out that there were ten years of, of time that elapsed, and it was explained at one point how the how the hotel had changed hands and gone from being extremely popular to not popular. Oh. So I'm thinking what the suggestion is. No. The, no. It must have it was popular. There would be no reason for like the mob to have this hotel being bugged except for that it was popular. Because important people are only going to be at that hotel when it was popular and that was the whole point yeah. of it. Yeah. But anyway, I guess you could say that 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 it's at least a point where you might wonder if right. If, if and that why was a would you still hole. have that surveillance going on after the fact when it was no longer popular because nobody was staying there anyway? Mm-hmm. So why was why was it continuing to be surveilled? Yeah, that didn't make any sense. So I just felt like there were a few things that plot holes were maybe plot holes, if nothing else, just kind of a tease. So. Yeah, for me, I guess I'm more about this. You know, just about story character development, mm-hmm. the flow of the plot. Yeah, if, if there's glaring plot holes, that'll upset me. But I, 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 I could live with it. I could live with it, and I liked the, I liked the way they brought it to a conclusion. It totally surprised me. Did you, for one moment, and without going too much into it, did you at one moment believe that the lobby boy was a serial killer who had actually yes, killed I everyone? I did believe that at one point. Yes. Okay, good. I just okay. want to make sure we... We're on the same. Okay. Page. All right. Well, well, we should end up on a note where we agree together. All right. And so that was it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Or we won't see anyone, will we? No. Um, never mind. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>